Hi, it's Bob from Royal Spa. Soaking in a hot tub full of Epsom salts is the absolute best way to minimize everyday aches and pains. And we know all about Epsom salts at Royal Spa. Royal Spa hot tubs are the only hot tubs on the market that can safely and effectively use Epsom salts. Made right here in Indiana, Royal Spa hot tubs are the highest quality hot tubs on the market. Visit any one of our three Indianapolis locations or visit royalspa.com. Ah, Royal Spa. I'm Brian No, He's Jimmy Cook. Here on The Fan, I want to welcome in Tony East. Covers the Pacers for 72 different platforms, including Sports Illustrated, Forbes, WTHR, Locked On Pacers podcast. And he's multitasking. You're playing chess as you're talking Pacers right now, Tony? I just lost, so I am no longer playing chess. <laughs> but I was... I was hoping to be done by one. Uh, the timing means I basically was done right at one. Is how this worked out. So how uh, how intense are you in chess? Right? Like, is this a oh, big no. deal for you? <laughs> I'm not very good. No, it's uh, definitely a hobby that I need to stop doing. Actually, probably taking up too much of my time these days. <laughs> how uh, how much time is going to be freed up with the Pacers season coming to an end for you, though? <laughs> Uh, I don't know. It depends because Fever start the very next day with their draft on uh, on Monday. So uh, the overlap the overlap is is very tight this year. So not a ton, not a ton. And Tony, I'll, I'll start there just to sprinkle in some love. Uh, uh, obviously, we want to get to the Pacers throughout the co- course of this conversation. But uh, is the thought of Leo Boston is where things are going to line up? Yeah, I mean, look, it's it's not a one player draft, but it's a, as close as you can get, and. And she's the one player in the Fever who finally, after years in the lottery and not getting the luck they need, being one pick behind where they need to be over and over and over again, get the number one and, and one of the most surefire talents is going pro. So they'll have a, they'll have a, a quality player here. I think she's got an all WNBA level feeling and she'll fit in well with what they need. I'm just thinking about the Pacers, Tony, and it's becoming Groundhog Day, I feel like, right? Where it's just... Each day it's, all right, they lost. Where are they in the tank standings? What beyond just the normal sort of thing is really interesting to you that isn't just the common thing we typically are, are viewing and talking about? Yeah, it's been, that has been a lot of how these games go, right? Okay, they competitive game. That's what they wanted. They get good experience from that. They end up you know, falling by a couple in the end. And uh, Let's look at the standings. Okay, they're still tied for six or whatever it happens to be, but... You know, what they've been talking about internally and what has been, I think, the, the key part of these last three or four weeks is the, the growth of their rookies and their young players, right, who are thrown into significantly bigger opportunities. And that's something I've been talking to, uh, asking guys about. Like, I just asked Jordan Ward at practice this week what it feels like for him being the oldest player in their starting lineup. He's 24 years old, right? Like, it's a huge <laughs> change for him coming from the Bucks, where he was, like, the youngest player to this team. And, um you know, here it, it, it's totally different, and that's been huge for them, right? Like Ben Matherin's been getting tougher defensive assignments. That's been a big thing to watch. And um, uh, Andrew Nembard's been getting point guard opportunities. He's really enjoyed having some offensive chances. And uh, all these guys are just getting bigger opportunities and growing with it. And it, that's been crucial for this team beyond the results is guys learning skills that they can one day use when this team is, uh, is peaking in a little bit better. Tony East of Locked On Pacers, Forbes, WTHR.com. A couple other places you can find his work as well. Nice enough to take some time with us. Tony, we were joking a little bit to open the show as we've continued to listen to, and I 
it is what it is. I'm not mad at him for it. But coach speak after coach speak from Rick Carlisle as he's navigated through the the muck of this final stretch of games towards the end of the season. Do you imagine Coach Carlisle relishes in the art of the dance in these press conferences, or do you do you think he's he's kind of ready for the season to be done as much as the rest of us? No, I think he's good. he's actually pretty thoughtful about what's actually being asked and why, and um, I really appreciate that of him and the way he he speaks in these moments. But yeah, you know, there is a little bit to that of, of talking about who is and isn't playing, and you know, we're, and talking about the same topics over and over. I think is certainly difficult as well because there's only you know we're asking about the same players every game these days, yeah. and who yeah. did well and who didn't, and all sorts of that kind of stuff. So it does feel kind of repetitive, and I think for him, it's a lot of. You know, not not necessarily repeating answers, but just saying uh, saying in a different way or talking about how a guy grew from one day to the next can be, you know, a little bit feeling like Groundhog's Day for him as well. So that's been uh, fun and interesting at the same time. But, yeah, there is an art to it and making sure that, you know, everybody's getting the right praise and every, it's, it's very clear what is and isn't being learned by specific players. And I, I feel bad myself because I feel like I've repeated questions or asked something similar like a hundred times, but you know, it's a job to do. And, and he's done a good job of being very thoughtful with us all year. T- talking to Tony East here on the fan covers the Pacers. What have you, Tony, either learned or what has been reinforced as you watch the Pacers and their lineup without their top guys? Uh, what have you seen that you're like, Oh wow. I didn't know this guy could do that. Or it's like, I knew this. I know it even more now. It almost feels like every player has shown like one tiny little thing that, you know, you'd hope they could show when the team is trying a little harder to win games next season. Like Jordan Wara, who I mentioned earlier, they've been working really hard with him about his playmaking, right? He's getting more opportunities to run pick and rolls, have the ball in his hands, make a few passes. Like his assists per game is more than doubled from when it ever was with Milwaukee. And like I mentioned with Matherin, they're putting him on, you know, Shea Gilgis Alexander and Donovan Mitchell and, even Luca for and Kyrie for a few possessions, like getting growing him in that way. His passing looks a little better, and it's all these little micro things that guys have been working on all year. But when you're a starter and you're playing against other stars, you can really show it uh, frequently over the course of a game when you're playing 30 to 35 minutes. Those two have been the two that have stood out and that we've asked the most about. But Jalen Smith's defense has been a little better. Right? He had 15 rebounds and a bunch of blocks in a game last week. He was really solid last night with 19 points. He's finally finding a little bit of natural footing to close. This season, and Nembard, again, playing point guard again like he did in college. Like That growth's really important for him because that looks like his more natural position long-term. Like Every single player, you could probably find a little thing that they've gotten better at and improved. The question is, can that skill apply when they're playing next to Tyrese Halbert and Miles Turner, who have the ball all the time and are super talented? The Pacers are really good when they play this year. right? They would be a playoff-level team if they had played in every single game, at least by win percentage. They didn't, obviously. Um, but can those skills remain and, and be intact and, and helpful when the Pacers are uh, healthy next year and trying to push for a little more? Tony, I know you and I talked about this a little earlier in the week on Locked on Pacers podcast, a, a great podcast you subscribe to for all your, your Pacers coverage uh, throughout the course of the season and the offseason as well. And one of our main discussion points was NCAA tournament in the rear view. Where did stock rise? Where were impressions made the most? There's no guarantee where the Pacers end up within the draft lottery. When you look at all of the information gathered from the NCAA tournament 
and all the information gathered as well from the likes of Overtime Elite. What really jumps out at you the most in terms of prospects that aren't named uh, Scoot Henderson or Victor Wembanyama? <laughs> well, that that is the story of the draft is those two names, which will be uh, fascinating <laughs> to see who can jump up to the top two. In my head, I haven't really dove into a ton of of minor league or, or college tape yet just because the NBA season is still going on. But statistically, and for the games I have caught, it seems like there's about eight guys that I think would be pretty good to great NBA players, and the Pacers are going to be right in that mix for the top eight, which is why it, you know this lottery is pretty important. And it all, you know, Kevin Pritchard always jokes that it seems like you know, wherever you end up post-lotto, you know, if you love five players, you'll end up six. If you love, you know, eight players, you'll end up nine, right? So that always is what it feels like. But to me, in my head right now, there's eight real talents. You know, Miller, Brandon Miller played poorly in the tournament, but he had a wonderful season. The Thompson Twins uh, and Overtime Elite both look like they could be really solid at the pro level. Uh, Jarris Walker from Houston, Cam Whitmore at Villanova. Those two guys look like they're going to be so solid in the NBA as well. And it's been very highly regarded by experts who follow this stuff year in and year out as, one of the more talented drafts in a while and looks better than the next couple as well, which is important. And another key part of this is, you know, as the NBA CBA news gets leaked out, they're not changing the one and done rule. Right. So Mm -hmm. that was a thing to monitor, I think a little bit, because if there was going to be a draft in the next few years where high schoolers and guys who got stuck in the last one and done year went pro at the same time, there's going to be like a loaded draft coming up, but that's not going to be the case anymore. So a really valuable and, and talented draft like this 2023 one still behooves teams who are at the top of it. And uh, the Pacers are certainly there. So if they can jump up or even stay in the top eight, I think that'd be great for them. I feel like behooves is an underutilized word right there. You know, <laughs> it kind I really of just flies off the tongue too, doesn't it? It does. It makes me think of Denzel in Training Day, where he says it behooves you to not bleep around on this one. <laughs> but I, I think about this: Tony East joining us here, covering the Pacers. You know what? Let's channel our inner Levar Ball. Let's try to speak stuff into existence here. So, if the Pacers got the number one overall pick. I think I know your answer. Who's their guy? If they have the two pick, who do you think their guy is? If they have the three pick, who do you think it is? If you look mega crystal ball, what would the Pacers do you think would do if they had either the first, the second, or the third pick? Yeah, look, one one is we don't have to go in depth on this. They'll pick Wembenyama. Any team would do that. I mean, there's a chance he's one of the best to ever do it. it, it it's so impossible to actually say that because he's 18 years old or 19 now, I believe. But the the tape of what he's doing at seven foot five over in France is, is unbelievable. But, you know, two and three is where it gets really interesting, right? Because Brandon Miller, really talented, looks like at least as a basketball player, would be a really good fit with what the Pacers can do, what they need. His size is really impressive. He can kind of do it all. Scoot Henderson, who might go number two, does not look like as good of a fit, right? Kind of commands the ball, and he's a good rebounder for a guard, which the Pacers don't really have that. But they have Matherin and Halliburton on the team already. It doesn't even account for Andrew Nembard, who has shown a lot of ball handling skills of late as well. He wouldn't fit as well with what they already have in place, despite being supremely talented, right? So if they end up at three, and I, you know, I think that that is the top three that seems somewhat likely at this stage, it's early. Uh, then you have to, they have to have some questions, right? They try to move down to four or five, or do they pick Scoot Henderson and try to fit him in? That's where I think it's it's interesting, but I think. Given the Pacers' current roster, what their needs would be, when Banyama 1, Miller 2 would be the order that makes the most sense just given what they would need. Tony East with us on the Pacers beat for Sports Illustrated. You can follow him on Twitter at TEastNBA and get him on Locked on Pacers as well. Tony, when you look at this Pacers roster, 
How different do you expect it to look outside of the, the rookies that will potentially be coming in? How different do you think this roster looks between where we're at now to where things will be at opening day uh, in October? Yeah, it's going to be, uh, by default, a busy offseason for them, right? The question is, how does that materialize? They have three guys who are going to be free agents. Uh, O'Shea Brissett, George Hill, and James Johnson, right? All three of which, when the Pacers were healthy after the trade deadline, weren't even in the rotation. But they have five draft picks and a ton of cap space and likely at least some sort of hopes of improving next year. And while rookies can be good, like Nathan has been, you need established, talented players to be a little better. So if, assuming they would like to sign at least one player, like they need to trade away or consolidate a lot of names on this team, right? And that is where you know it, it's easy to kind of point to things from this player or that player or you know the age of certain players and say, yeah, maybe they don't make the most sense for the Pacers long-term, but there's just so many options that it's hard to really say who they would or wouldn't prioritize. Like anyone over, let's, I'm just making this up, but anyone over Miles Turner's age, right? Like do they truly fit the Pacers' timeline going forward or if the Pacers are really going for it next year and they really want to be you know, a team that can maybe get out of the first round, do they want to keep a lot of those veterans, right? And so they, that they have the best possible chance to move into you know postseason success, or you know, do they want to maximize the playing time for any rookie they may get? Like if they get Wembanyama, that changes who they may or may not trade on their team. So it is kind of dependent on what direction I feel like they want to go and how the how the draft lottery ends up shaking out for them. But because they have just currently so few open spots in their team next year and a ton of resources to acquire new talent, it almost seems like they're going to be in a mode where a lot of guys could theoretically be on the table to be moved, not necessarily because they're trying to move them, but just because they they almost have to to accomplish whatever goals they want to accomplish. You know, I give you credit, Tony, because, dude, you know the Pacers in and out, and uh, I do mean that as a compliment. I'm just curious, what's the most random fun fact you know about the Pacers? It could be related to a player that, I don't know, like uh, 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 Buddy Heald loves shredded wheat. You know, I don't know. It's just something, something completely out there that we would be, uh, we'd like to know. I knew that their old shooting guard, Jeremy Lamb, who is not on the team this year, he's really good at darts. Uh, oh, that really? Was a sto- yeah, that was a story I always thought would have been really fun to do. He play- Back when he played with the Hornets in Charlotte, he loved playing darts. And I only got to talk to him about it a few times uh, when he was with the Pacers. But there's my random fun fact is that Jeremy Lamb is a, a master of, of the dartboard. And I... I'm terrible at darts, so I'm very jealous. <laughs> That's perfect, yeah. Uh, well, hey, man, maybe you'll challenge one of these Pacers at chess one of these days, right? <laughs> uh, that would be a, a very strange day for a lot of people. If that is a good <laughs> so, well, hey, man, Tony, you crushed it today, man. Thanks for visiting with us. Hope you have a great rest of the day. Thanks, Tony. Awesome. Thanks for having me, guys. Yeah, thank you. There he is. Tony East covers the Pacers for Sports Illustrated, Forbes, WTHR, and the Locked On Pacers podcast. I'm Brian No, He's Jimmy Cook here on The Fan. Pleased to welcome in Todd Blackledge, NBC Sports. Be calling the Big Ten action come this fall. Very much looking forward to that. Are you looking forward to not just the fall, Todd, the here and now, the Masters? Are you a golf guy at all? Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I don't play as much as I used to, but uh, but I do like to play and, of course, love watching the Masters. I mean, it just doesn't get much better than that. What's the best course you've played, Todd? Oh, my goodness. Um, well, let's see. Uh, you know, I really liked one of the ones I really liked was uh, was Laurel Valley in Pennsylvania. I was an old Arnold Palmer uh, 
kind of where he grew up in that area, and uh, that that was probably one of my favorite places I've ever played at. Uh, I like it. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah. You know, I just had, uh, I, I tend to have stupid questions popping into my head here, Todd, so if you just bear with me here. But, uh, you know, All when right. you used to do, it was called Taste of the Town, wasn't it? Right, when you do, right, yeah. yep. And some of those things were, were high in calories that you were eating, Todd. Delicious, right, but right. I'm just wondering in the off season, is it just like nothing but healthy stuff, greens and kale, so you can get ready for the fall and that type of stuff? Well, you know, it's really more like that the rest of the week. I mean, I don't eat like that every day uh, in the fall either. So uh, we did feature some places and some dishes that, uh, you know, you're not going to want to eat like that on a regular basis. But uh, every once in a while, it's pretty special. So, so yeah, I try to balance it out. That Between that and exercise, I try to balance it out pretty well. Todd Blackwood's taking some time with us, about to begin his 30th season as a network college football analyst. Of course, national championship winning quarterback at Penn State in 1982. Big Ten, a big spot in your heart, Todd. How much are you looking forward to Big Ten Saturday night on NBC and Peacock this fall? Yeah, I'm really looking forward to it. I mean, it's, it's, uh, it's, uh, you know, I've been at ESPN for a long time, 17 years, uh, the last 17 years, and, and enjoyed my time there. And, but I'm looking forward to the new challenge and the new opportunity with NBC and, and uh, their new deal with the Big Ten. And so, uh, you know, I've had, had an opportunity to do a lot of primetime games at ESPN, and that's my favorite window to do a game is in primetime. And just I love the look and the feel of it uh, at night uh, in, in some of these big stadiums that we'll be in. And, and then also, you know, I like being able to watch games during the day and kind of being the last show that comes on at night. Uh, it's, it's kind of fun for me. So very much looking forward to it. In fact, I'm kind of getting my juices flowing a little bit. Uh, uh, taking a little trip here uh, this week and, and visiting the three Big Ten West teams that have uh, new head coaches this year. So I was at Purdue uh, on Tuesday, and I just finished watching Nebraska practice here this morning and, and that rule, and, and I'll go see Luke Fickle in Wisconsin on Saturday. So uh, looking forward to, uh, to finishing this trip as well. Very cool. What were your impressions of Purdue on that trip? Yeah, you know, uh, I think that it, it's interesting because I think that, uh, you know, when you look at all three of these teams, um, you know, the, the not only new coaches, but the – you know, the impact of the transfer portal and particularly at the quarterback position, um, you know, that's that that's evident in all three places, right? I mean, so Hudson Card uh, is a guy that, that you know, was was a good player at, at Texas and uh, and they're very high on him at, at Purdue. You know, Graham Harrell is the 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 offensive coordinator, is a young you know, energetic coach himself, Ryan Walters, you know, I think 37 years old, the, the staff is a lot of energy. It was a fun practice. Um, and, you know, and I think that they feel like they're going to be pretty good. And, you know, they were the big 10 West champions a year ago. So it wasn't like he was stepping into a total rebuild situation, but, uh, but I liked the, the, the vibe that I felt there. And then I felt the same way at Nebraska today. Uh, and I've known that for a long time and, you know, he's got a pretty good track record at, at rebuilding and doing some things at the college level, both at Temple and Baylor. And, uh, and I, think he, I think he will be a good fit here as well uh, in Lincoln. 
Todd, the, the wild, wild west of NIL and, and transfer portal action and just your normal yeah. standard traditional recruiting has meshed into new heights of, of stress for, for coaches across college football as, as they've continued to get more familiarized or more used to this this new element that's in place in college athletics what have been the biggest thoughts or, or takeaways shared from those coaching staffs you've interacted with in the big 10 yeah i mean it's uh you know there's still so many questions about the nil because there's no official oversight you right. know so i think we're we're still trying to figure it out and and what are the rules everybody's playing by and you know, I mean, these these collectives, they're not technically part of the university. And so, you know, how, how it all fits, I think everybody is still trying to figure it out and, and what fits on your particular campus and uh, with what you're able to do. So, uh, you know, people are learning as they go right now. And I think, uh, you know, it's interesting talking to a guy like Ryan Walters, who's a young coach and this is his first head coaching job. And so, I mean, this is all new to college football, but maybe not as, you know, earth shattering or, or earth changing, uh, you know, for a guy like him and his first job is maybe a guy who's like a Kirk Ferentz, who's been in place for a long time, who's having to adjust to all the changes, you know, uh, uh, that's coming on in college football. And certainly NIL and the transfer portal have, have created more change uh, in college football in the last couple of years than in, you know, the previous 27, 28 that I've been covering the sport. So, um, you know, and, and with all things that change, uh, even some of it that I think is really good, but there's always unintended negative consequences that result from it as well. And, and just kind of finding your way through that is, is, is important too. But I think, as much as anything, these coaches uh, and you know Matt Rule came from the NFL with his after a short stint with Carolina. But you almost have to have an NFL model in terms of your staff now because you have to have like a GM and somebody that is paying attention to the transfer portal because it changes constantly and and helping to manage your roster and then uh, you know the the whole thing with however you're dealing with the NIL and how you're going to distribute things uh, among your team and, and how that's going to work. So it's, it's, it's a very different ball game these days. That's for sure. He's Todd Blackledge from NBC sports joining us here on the fan. You know, Todd, I thought it was interesting what happened in college basketball with the final four. It wasn't the big name schools, three of the four schools. That was their first ever trip to the final four in school history. Right. And so if you apply that to college football, for this upcoming season, which would you sign up for? Would you sign up for the big names, the usual suspects, where you get Georgia and Bama and Ohio State? Or would you like for one year it to resemble college basketball, where you get three or four schools that have never been to the college football playoff before, just shake up city? Where did these guys come from? Yeah, I think it's, I mean, it was interesting, obviously, uh, with, with the Final Four and the fact that, you know, no number one seed was there and there was a lot of teams that, you know, hadn't been in that territory. I think it's easier to do, it's it's not easy to do, but it's easier to do in basketball, certainly, than in football um, because you have fewer guys on the roster, fewer guys on the floor. At the same time, you get a couple guys that get hot and are playing great and you can compete, you know, in football, um, it's a little tougher, you know, with 11 on 11 and the physicality of the game and, and going through the course of the season. Um, but it, 
you know, we have seen in the last two years, uh, you know, Michigan was in the playoffs back-to-back years, but two years ago, that was the first time they had been in, and they were a new team, and they were unranked when the preseason polls came out. And the same thing was true with TCU this past year, and we had Cincinnati uh, also make it. So we've, we've seen a little bit of newness in the college football playoff, and, and which I think is great. And I think as it expands here uh, in the future, it's going to uh, open up maybe some uh, even more opportunities. Yeah, Todd, you led right into my next question. Is there going to be any weirdness or strangeness with this being the last season that it's going to be a four-team playoff or is it just it kind of going to be the the same old routine that we're used to of still the drama towards that selection period and obviously the announcements of who's in the top four and the top six will there be anything different this year with it being the last four-team edition of the cfp i don't think so i you know and really quite honestly i think the system has worked pretty well you know uh over the course of, of however long we've had it, um, you know, I think that I think that the committee has done an excellent job. I think the process has worked. I think that we've gotten the you know the most deserving teams in, and uh, you know we haven't you know this past year's championship game was was not a very good game or a competitive game, but the two semifinal games, which we have not had as many competitive semifinal games, but the two this year were fantastic. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, so I think, I think one more year of it will be kind of business as usual. And then, and then we'll see what happens after that. Hey Todd, what do you think about a, a Penn state transfer? Will Levis, it might be the Colts top draft pick here when the draft rolls around. What do you make of uh, Will Levis, uh, who once started at, at Penn State, transferred to Kentucky? Yeah. What do you think about him in the NFL once he gets there? You know, I think that, that he is a guy with a lot of upside. I mean, he's obviously a big, physical, athletic kid. In fact, when he was at Penn State, even though he wasn't playing a lot at quarterback, you know, backing up Trace McSorley, he was they were using him in different ways, you know, whether it was as a running back or a shotgun wildcat quarterback or a tight end. And, and uh, they were kind of getting him on the field because of his athleticism. And I think now that he, you know, when he went to Kentucky, uh, he prospered and flourished really well under Liam Cohen for one year as his offensive coordinator. And, and you could see the arm talent and, and just the, the, the raw talent that he has in throwing the football. So I, I think he's a guy with a lot of upside. It's, it's interesting as I look at the quarterbacks in the draft this year, you know, I think he and Anthony Richardson are similar, the kid out of Florida, in that they are very raw, just super talented guys, great arm talent, um, but not as polished in terms of playing the position, you know, and, and the decision-making that goes with the position. And I think, you know, in the right situation and the right coaching, they both have a chance, you know, to be really fine players. Whereas, you know, you have JT uh, Stroud and you have Bryce Young, who are a little bit more polished. Uh, they, they've been more productive in, in, you know, particularly with Alabama, more of a pro-style offense. Um, maybe you would say those two are a little bit more NFL ready, but but certainly the athleticism of, of those other guys, Levis and, and Richardson, is kind of jumps off the charts. So it, it's it's kind of going to be interesting to see, you know, just how teams uh, sort their way through that. 
Todd Blackage of NBC Sports, nice enough to take some time with us here on The Fan. Todd, when you look at Anthony Richardson, uh, the biggest criticism, the biggest point towards him is his inaccuracy at times. I guess it's kind of a two-part question. How hard is that to fix, and how hard is that as a quarterback prospect to hear it and, and, and accept the critiques and the criticism and want to get better? Well, I think to answer your second question, I mean, it, you know, a quarterback has to be able to take that because, you know, at the NFL, you cannot exist if you're if you're an inaccurate and inconsistent thrower. I mean, the game is you have to be an efficient thrower. Now, you don't have to, uh, you know, you don't have to be a 75% completion guy, but you have to be an accurate thrower and you have to be able to throw on time and, and have good balance and those kind of things. You know, I, one of the examples that I see of a guy who maybe wasn't the most consistent, accurate thrower when I saw him in college, uh, but has really developed and grown uh, is Jalen Hurts. You know, he's the perfect example of a guy who early on in his college career was maybe not, didn't look like a, an NFL passer, but he certainly has become an NFL passer, and their offense fits him, and, and he still has a, the ability to use his athleticism and the other skill sets that he brings to the Eagles' offense. So I think for, for a guy like Anthony Richardson, certainly, again, that's kind of what I mean. There's, there's a lot of upside, and there's a lot of coaching that still can be done with him and Will Levis to bring them to a new level. And part of that level is being a more consistent and accurate passer because you have to be that in the NFL. Hey, lastly, Todd, um, when you're doing the taste of the town thing, did you ever, I know you wouldn't show it on, on camera because you're a nice dude, yeah. but do you ever eat anything and you're like, oh, never again. That was not the best thing. <laughs> no, no, I never did. And the reason I never did is because I never went and featured a place that I didn't already go to either the day before or had been there on a previous trip. So, so I never, you know, I never went into a place blind and said, gosh, I hope I like it. I mean, I, you know, and that's why I say I don't eat like that all the time. Cause normally I would double dip on a weekend, you know, <laughs> go try it out on Thursday and then film it on Friday. So, uh, uh, so no, I never, I never was in that situation. Awesome. Well, Hey man, we enjoyed talking with you, Todd. Thanks for the time, man. Have a good day. Thanks, Todd. Thanks. You got it. Take care guys. You too. There he is, Todd Blackledge, NBC Sports. It'll be a lot of fun.